delighted to be here with you this morning and to be able to jump into the journey that you're, that you're on uh, through the book of Acts. There's really no better book for a missionary to be speaking out of. It's thrilling. It's thrilling. God is at work in history. God is doing and accomplishing a great work in our days, and it's thrilling. Guys, if we are not possessed by this story, we're missing out on the stuff of the stuff that God wants us to be, to enthuse, uh, to enthuse and fill our lives with. If we're detaching from the story and we're possessed by our circumstances, we are missing it. And that's what this story is all about, or at least this episode. This episode that we're going to be looking about is a monumental miss. A monumental miss by a particular group of people. They are taken up by circumstances and they miss an opportunity. But it's also a story about a monumental all-in jump, a buy-in. Another group of people who buy in and say, we want this, we're in. And in between this, in between this monumental miss and this incredible buy-in is this warning. And that's where you finished the story last week. It's this warning where Paul is in the synagogue and he's saying... God is at work in history. Take heed lest you find yourself left out, miss out on the participation. You know what? Honestly, I could say I'm preaching to the choir. Let's just skip this part of the chapter and move on. You guys get it. You are in. You are all in. You are enthusiastic. You are totally invested in us. We're preaching to the choir. We really don't need this. And I I would move on except for the fact, except for this one fact, I think that you're a lot like me. And you know what? I tend to forget. I tend to unplug. I tend to live circumstantially. I tend to do my life letting things that are temporary, things that aren't important, loom large in my view. And I stop getting impacted by the reality that God is at work in our days. Are you anything like me? I'm going to risk that you are. I remember the, one of the very first days that I was alone in Amdu. We had just unloaded a big MAF airplane, a twin otter, big two-engine thing. This is an incredible hunk of metal that was built long, long ago, and it's designed to land on a very short distance and take off at an even shorter distance. And it's, it's incredible that it actually could get into the little grass airstrip that we were on. But because it's bigger, I was able to get sheets of plywood on there to build my house without cutting them in half. Anyway, this thing landed. We pulled it all out. It took off. The drone of the engine went silent. And there I was, standing in Amdu, the very place that I wanted to be. But all of a sudden, the circumstances and the impossibility of the situation that I had gotten in myself started to loom large. And you know what? I got very afraid. I got afraid enough to be able to say, I want out. I don't think I want to do this. I don't think I can do this. I've gotten myself into the most giant pickle mess possible. I want out. And you know what? I forgot. But God in his grace reminded me in that quiet moment, surrounded by little Amdu people. They're very small. They're not, you know, they all fit under my armpit. I'm this humongous person. In the days before we were even really able to communicate, the Lord reminded me in the middle of that quietness, I am doing a work in your day. Don't forget that. Oh, that's right, Lord. That's right. You were doing a work. I trust you. I'll stay here. I want to be there. And then just on the heels of that prayer, hearing the drone, the drone of that airplane, and my buddy David is on that plane. And he's getting off with the material to build his house. My arms around him and his arms around me. And we're saying, here we are. We get to be here. 
We get to be a part of what God is doing. We have no idea of how it's going to end up, but we get to be here. We wouldn't be anywhere else. Let's build these houses. And then I proceeded to put a machete in my knee. (laughs) Unbelievable, you know. And God kept on working. I tend to forget. I don't know about you. We need this story today. We need this story. We need to be reminded that God is at work in eternity. That he is at work. And we need to be possessed by the story. And if we allow the story to possess us, we become a part of one of the most exciting, no, the most exciting thing that is happening in all of creation. We get to be a part of it. You know, I forgot again. One day I was walking from a garden, coming back up to the house. This was in the middle, not house building anymore. We're learning the language. And I'm having one of those days where my tongue feels this big. You know, I can't say a word right and I'm due. I'm watching my friends glaze over and go on to another subject like this guy's never going to learn this language. And I remember sitting there walking up this trail, just tired as can be, and it was like out of nowhere, one of those flaming darts got me, whack, right in the back of the neck. I mean, I almost heard it hit. And the thought, the defeating, crippling thought of, you can't even hold a conversation with these people. What makes you think you're going to be able to dice and slice justification, sanctification, glorification. Who do you think you are? Oh, you're right. You're right. I'm out of my mind. I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be here. Forgot. Tendencies to forget and to slip out out of this thing that God is doing and then the Spirit of God again coming along behind me and saying, Benjamin, I'm the one who confounded the languages. And I'm the one who's limiting myself to people like you. You are a word, you are a vessel that is a clay only so that the overwhelming glory can be mine. I want to enable you to do this. You're a part of a work that I'm doing. Keep going. Being reinflated. Tears. Continuing to walk up. Tired. And day after day, seeing God's faithfulness in our life. I tend to forget, I know you must tend to forget that God is at work in history and He wants us in. He wants us to participate in it. And so we need this story. We need this story. We need this warning. Because it could be us. We might be the ones who, who it said of us, we were the ones who were, we monumentally messed it, missed it. Or it could be said of us that we were the ones who bought in. Who bought in. So let's go to our story today, and let's just be reminded, man, this is, these aren't just diary inserts, okay? This is not just a string of stories for the sake of it. This is food for you and I, not only to sustain us in difficult times, but to transform, reorient, identify, and define our short existence on this earth. It goes by like a vapor, and God says, I want to use all of it. Let's be exercised by the word of God this morning. By way of review, let's just go back up a few verses. Thirty-eight, thirteen, verse 38. Let's start there. And it says, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, and he's talking about Jesus, the Jesus of Nazareth, who is the Christ, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him... Everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, 
lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe even if one tells it to you. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after meeting in the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul Barnabas, who as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. So just by way of review there, Paul has given a, a, a message of titanic proportion. It is absolutely massive. The things that he is saying, things that he is pointing to, the implications... The implications are far, far reaching, and he is laying it out very, very clearly. It cannot be mistaken. And people are clamoring, thronging, mobbing the apostles as they go out of the synagogue, clamoring for more. Do you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of another character in chapter 13, another story. You've already heard it. Who does it remind you of? Who also was interested enough to use his political position to make sure that he got an audience with Paul and Barnabas because he wanted to hear the word of the Lord. Who is that? Sergius Paulus, a Gentile, the proconsul. He wanted a hearing with these men because he had heard things. He was interested. In fact, he was good friends with a Jew trying to find out more about all of this. He had didn't have preconceived notions. He was trying to understand what it was about this God. So he had come close and he was hearing new things and he wanted to hear more. So he was clamoring. Man, in the same way, I think that story illustrates the Gentile population in this particular town, in this particular meeting, in this particular moment in history. They wanted to hear more. They were eager for more. Is it true what you're saying? Could it be that these conclusions are actually the implications of what you're saying do include us they wanted to hear more so they were they were they were around Paul they were around Barnabas they were clamoring for more and they were saying man at the very least will you come next week and talk more about this and so the meeting was set I wonder what that week must have been like amongst that Gentile group of people I wonder what they were going back to what was, it that, that, what was it that Paul said? I think it's this part that we just read. I bet they're going back there. Was he saying sins forgiven? Was he saying that Jesus from Nazareth who died on the cross, that was supposed to happen? And that through that cross, we have sins forgiven? Was that what he was saying? Was he, was, was he saying that it's through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ that we get right standing with God, that we get that righteousness that we know we don't have because hey, we, can't, we can't even get close to, as the Jews are getting. They hold that in front of us all the time. That's waved in our faces. Is it possible that he's saying that this salvation is for everyone who believes even us? I think they were talking about those things. I think their hearts were bubbling and there was a lot of discussion. I can't wait for next week. Come on, we've got to get them to clarify those things. Because if it means what he says he means, it means that we're in too. That God is doing a work and he wants us to participate in it. I wonder what was going on in the Jewish camp that week. I wonder what they were discussing. I wonder, were, were they hitting the books? I believe they were. If we know anything about that society, if we know anything about those... Their, their, their hunger to protect tradition. I think that they were, bang, they, were, they were hitting the books as well. And they were asking questions and they were looking at the way Paul had used the prophets to show that Jesus was the Messiah and that the cross was essential to dealing with the problem of sin. They were following that chain of logic 
They were looking at what the prophets said. They were studying out and they were really beginning to gag on this implication of, does that mean then that the sons of Abraham and everyone else who believes is on equal footing? Hmm. So two reactions to the same thing. God at work in our day. The chosen one to bring the message is, keeping, is giving that message loudly. We've got two groups who are chewing on it with two very different perspectives. Let's read on down a little bit more. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. Let's skip down to 44. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Can you imagine the atmosphere that day? I think we tasted a little bit this week. I was watching a particular news feed channel as they were airing the judiciary hearings for the Supreme Court nominee and the allegations against him. Pretty polarized group of people. A, a topic that's been well debated and they were coming in on two different angles and it was, the atmosphere was electric. You know, I bet it's something like that. I bet this synagogue filled up. And it says here that Almost the whole city gathered. Now, I don't know the numbers. There's no numbers there, but I guess what Luke is trying to, from his estimation, from his experience, the place was jammed. Who's not here? I don't know. Everyone is here. Look at the place. So the synagogue at least was just jammed out with people. As, you know, there was standing room only. People were completely packed in. But here's the little characteristic about the, the crowd that we need to try and and experience. So everyone's in there, everyone's packed in. Here's the, here's the nature of the crowd. It's probably a majority Gentile, at least 50-50. And what do we see happening? It's this very characteristic. The next Sabbath, uh, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. And then in verse 45 it says, but when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. When the Jews saw the crowds, when they recognized and saw just how many people were there, they were filled with jealousy. Who else recently was filled with jealousy and began to, just like the Jews in this situation, contradict what was spoken by Paul? Can you remember? Is there another recent story where someone was filled with jealousy and they too began to contradict what was going on, the message of Paul? Hearken back. Sergius Paulus the Gentile, he wanted more. He was clamoring for it. But there was another guy, Bar-Jesus. Remember him? He was a false Jewish prophet, a magician. And he was in with the proconsul. He was in with that Gentile leader. And he recognized that the heart of Sergius Paulus was being turned. And what did he do? To prevent Sergius Paulus from the faith, he began to contradict the message of grace that Paul and Barnabas were talking about. Sergius Paulus, the Gentiles, Bar-Jesus, and the Jews. These pictures are important, and they, they form, these stories are important, and it seems like they form a type of parenthesis, if you will, pointing in towards what is most important. God is accomplishing a work in our days. Take heed so that you don't end up on the wrong side of what he's doing. We need this reminder. This is a story not to stand back and marvel at, not to look at and say, hmm, nice, history. This is a story for an example to exercise our hearts so that we don't make the same mistakes. 
Which side are we going to land on? Are we going to land with Sergius and the Gentiles? Or are we going to land with Bar-Jesus and the Jews? It says that the Jews filled with jealousy began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. Another translation says that they contradicted Paul and blasphemed. Basically, every position, every point that Paul was making, specifically, and what point was he making? He was making specific points about the history of the relationship with God and the nation of Israel relative to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and the extraordinary importance of what happened on the cross. That's what they were attacking. They were contradicting those things and they were reviling. They were blaspheming. They were saying that is not the way. That cannot be the application of this. We stand opposed to what you're saying. Man, doing the same thing that Bar Jesus was doing, blocking the road to the Gentiles for their opportunity to be in. What did God do with Paul on the day that Bar Jesus stood against him, preventing the way for Sergius Paulus? God filled Paul with the Holy Spirit, and what happened? Paul cursed the magician and he fell blind for a season that's what it says isn't it well here we all here we see again in this story paul and barnabas become bold it says there in uh, verse 46 and paul and barnabas spoke out boldly saying it was necessary that the word of god be spoken first to you since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life behold we're turning to the gentiles it was necessary that we first come and talk to you. Why was it necessary? Paul was saying, you are the chosen people. You are the chosen people. God picked Abraham out of everybody. And he made promises to Abraham. And every one of those promises, in seed form, you see God's plan of redemption for the world. For the world, because it is through the blessing of Abraham that the nations will be blessed. Over and over again, from Genesis 12 to Genesis 18 to Genesis 22, we see this being unpacked. You can't miss it. God's intention has always been for the nations. But it was for the Jews the honor to be the purveyors of this gospel message. It was for them to be able to be in on the work of God in the ages. And that's why it needed to be spoken to them. What did they do with that opportunity? Paul here reminding him, this is it. This is it. This is your chance. God is at work in your day. This is your chance to participate. It was supposed to come to you first. What did they do? It says, it uses the word thrust. They thrust it aside. They thrust it aside. Basically saying, if the cross is the message, we don't want anything to do with it. They judge themselves unworthy of eternal life. And they thrust it aside. They wadded it up. And they hurled it back at Paul and Barnabas into their hands. So there they're standing, Paul and Barnabas. Here they are, they're standing, holding the light of life, the message of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The honor for the nation of Israel. And Paul said, okay. And he turned to the Gentiles. And darkness, the light taken away, just like bar Jesus falls into a misty darkness, the Jewish people fall into darkness, missing the opportunity to be purveyors of the light into a dark world.
take heed because God is doing a work in our days lest you end up being the scoffer. That's the warning of this story. It says here in verse 47, for so, the, for so the Lord had commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Like I was saying earlier, this is part of God's plan. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Under command, Paul seeing this thing clearly. Man, it's God's command that this message be taken into a dark world. Under appointment, eternal appointment, it was God's desire that all the nations of the world have possession of this message. He turns to the Gentiles. My sons and I were recently able to have a bucket list experience. We went to the big house in Ann Arbor, Michigan to watch the University of Michigan play a collegiate game of football. This is the creme de la creme. If you want to experience college football, go to the big house. 110,000 people and 500 more. And we sat on the 40-yard line about three decks up, our backs against the wall. And the sweetest part of the deal was the tickets for free. So here we were, me and my boys with our Detroit Tiger hats on. Because <laughs> we didn't have any of the appropriate paraphernalia. And we certainly weren't going to go into the den and buy, you know, baseball caps for $95 or whatever they're selling them for there. Anyway, they were sitting. And you know what? I will ashamedly admit, almost cried, got misty as the opening ceremony took place. The marching band, oh, wow, the back bend, her head touching the ground. The cheers of the crowd, the F-35s flew over so fast, we barely saw them, and then the sound caught up, like the sky was ripping apart. Scary, but awesome. And James Earl Jones, booming over the voice, his voice booming over with that, that video narrative. It was amazing. It was amazing. But you know what? There was two points in the game where either there was an interception or a diving touchdown. I don't know what it was, but the crowd went nuts. With one voice, just that, ah, you know? And we were like, ah, and everyone was, ah, it was so loud, it was so impressive. We were, and there was like four rows of people from the opposing team up there, you know, in the balcony. Everyone in either that yellow or that blue, ah, I don't know what it was like on the day when Paul said, okay, Gentiles. I don't know if it was that loud, but the enthusiasm level was definitely that high. It says, it says here, and when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. If you were saying the door is open for us, boom, we're kicking it in and we are all in. We are all in. That was the response. Look at the contrast look at the contrast and then hear the warning again right in the middle take heed God is doing a work in our days don't be caught missing out on what he is doing don't be like these people in a misty darkness thinking they're right be like these people basking in the light thrilled with the chance to be in 
thrilled with the chance to be in. What happened? What happened with this thrill? Did it, did it last for a weekend? Did it filter out? Did it die out? Was it seasonal? Let's read. And when the Gentiles heard this, many got saved, and the word of the Lord, in verse 49, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. We can take a cursory glance, and we can see that the word of the Lord spread out the whole region. You know what? There were roads, but there were no cars in those days. And you know what? I can attest firsthand to the difficulty of living in a land where you've got to walk everywhere. But the word of the Lord went out in the whole region. How come? Because this was not fair-weather Christianity. This was Christians possessed by the reality that God is doing a work in our days. And they were all in. They were possessed by it. It changed their identity. It gave them purpose. It defined what they were going to do. It became their legacy, and it went out into all the region. It wasn't just on the backs of Paul and Barnabas. The Amdu territory is long it is wide. It is high and deep. There are many rivers. Man, we're trusting that the word goes out in their region, and it's going to be on the backs of Amdu people, not on mine. So the Gentiles, possessing the light, thrilled with the opportunity to be in on God's plan, took the word of the Lord throughout the whole entire region. And it was because the entire region was very accommodating. And so that's what made it easy, right? Let's read the next verse. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region, but the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and drove them out of the district. So at the very highest levels, they stooped to the very lowest tactics, and they persecuted everything about this new movement, the way, this new message, the grace of God. And they were as shameful as they could be. Among their peers, Paul and Barnabas had no, honor, no more honor. Their status was ruined, a big deal in the culture of those days, in that part of the world. They were alienated and they were kicked out. They were alienated, they were kicked out. And it says in the next verse, but they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. Under the incredible intense pressure of shame, they did not look to re-establish their name and influence in the region. They shook their clothes off and said, you judge yourselves. And they left boldly, held, holding their heads high. But between the lines, there's an even more incredible testimony. The Gentiles stayed Courageously. They courageously stayed there. Paul and Barnabas left, but everyone stayed put, pushing the boundaries of the darkness back, saying, we are all in. God is doing a work in our days. Persecution is not going to hold us back. And what does the final verse in our little episode say? It characterizes the ongoing nature of the relationship the Gentiles had with God at this point. It says, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Persecution, revilings, but they were filled with joy. And the Holy Spirit, this is the true mark of the message of grace that God has for us. 
God is doing a work in our day. He wants to invite us into it. And it's not just a get in, put the t-shirt on, and go about it in your own strength. No. When you come in, this will possess you. When you are all in to what God is doing in our day, it will possess you. It will change you. You will find resources and you will find satisfaction down to the very lowest depths of who you are in the immaterial stuff of your person. You will find satisfaction and you will find resources in God. And you will have joy and the light will continue to go out into the darkest places of all of the regions of the land. That's the story. And it's not to marvel at. It's not to say this is cute. Guys, God is speaking to us. It's not by mistake that he included the blindness of Bar Jesus in chapter 13. He wants to emphasize that the choice the Jews made left them blind. Could it be said of us Could it be said of us that jealousy would take over in our lives? The I want spirit could take over in our lives and we could fall blind to the opportunity to be all in on what God is doing? Is that possible? I know myself and I feel like I know you guys too. And yes, I know that it's so easy for me to fall into that I want mentality in life. When I start approaching the word of God out of a sense of duty, When I start approaching God's word out of a sense of it's something I ought to do, do you know what happens to my heart? It turns dull. It turns dull and I forget about the life side of Christianity. And I'm just just operating. You know when I'm dull at heart, when it comes to the word of God, do you know what's next? When I'm dull at heart, I am susceptible to those things that the God of this age is doing in our world today. You see, it's not just God who's doing a work in our days. He has an enemy who is doing a work in our days as well. And that enemy would use glittery, shiny things to distract you into the here and now, living temporarily. He wants you and he will get you with the lust of the eyes. I know I'm a sucker for that all the time. And we'll start thinking about our comforts and we'll start thinking about those things that are tangible. Those things that we can see. Those things that feel nice. And once we start a steady diet of that, man, we are not going to see at all that God is... In fact, we will look and see the work that God is doing. And you know what? It'll scare us because we'll recognize that those comforts have to go in order to buy in. And so separation will just continue to grow between us and what God is doing in this life if we approach the word of God out of duty, become dull in our hearts, and start buying in to this idea that the temporary things that please the lust of the eyes are actually where we should be investing. As soon as someone buys in to the things of this world and they are living for the comforts of this life, they are a sucker for the next the next hook in the meat. And that is the lust of the flesh. We will begin rewriting, just like the Jews did, just like Bar-Jesus did. They began to rewrite what God had clearly revealed in history and say, it's not like that. 
you're anything like me, you'll find yourself creating, rewriting what God says in Scripture and turning it into talk like, uh, I have liberty to do these things. I have liberties. I have freedoms in Christ to do these things. But really, if we're honest, man, we're just feeding, we're just feeding those fleshly desires for the things that are most comfortable and tasty to us. It's a dangerous, dangerous place to be. Man, the next step after that is a person or a family led by a father who has bought into the reality that he steers the destiny of his life. That he is at the helm and that he gets to call the shots. Man, that's blasphemy. That's like saying, God doesn't deserve the throne of my heart. That's my seat. That's my lazy boy. I'm going to take over. I'm going to hold the reins. How many believers have I talked to who have exude a fear? A fear of the idea of letting God control the details of their lives. And do you know what it sounds like? I could never, Mr. Hatton, Benjamin, you're such an inspire, inspiration. You and your children, we could never do what you do. You know what that says to me? That says, I am afraid of letting God have control of the very thing that he bought, purchased, and owns. My life. And that means that person has bought into what Satan says about life, that the temporary things are the most valuable. There's no joy and there's no filling of the Holy Spirit in a person who says, oh, I could never do that. What you're doing, oh, wow, I could never do that. Guys, this story is for us. The warning is for us. The message and the opportunity is ours. God is doing a work in our day. We can buy in. And we will experience courage that fills and enables the most feeble container. Testify. Testify right here. I am a feeble person. But God when we buy into the fact that he's doing the work and he wants us to participate, will fill you with a courage that you cannot explain. God will fill you with a contentment that you cannot explain. God will give you a joy that you cannot explain, except for the fact that he's doing an amazing work and I get to be in it. We bought our tickets to go back to Ambu December 10th is when we leave this country. And I can honestly say we are very excited about returning. We're not excited about saying goodbye. We're not excited about leaving the comforts of, of this land. They're wonderful. But we are thrilled to return to what God has for us because we want to tell the Amdu people that God is doing a work in their days and it's for them too. That there's forgiveness in the Lord Jesus Christ. That he secured righteous standing for everyone who believes through the cross and that if we buy in we can be filled with joy and the resources of the Holy Spirit and be a part of what God is doing in our day do you know on the day of day when the Lord Jesus comes back there are going to be those who shrink back first John tells us that in fact he warns the children look live in this certain way so that on that day you aren't shrinking back the ones who are going to shrink back are not the ones who snuck into heaven somehow. They're justified. They're secure in their position in the Lord Jesus Christ, but they've got nothing to show for it. They've got nothing to show for it. And it's going to be crystal clear on that day that they bought into the wrong work by the wrong God. They invested in the temporary. 
First Corinthians also describes another way of this same thing. Those people shrinking back are going to be those people who are there as if by fire. <laughs> They're going to smell like smoke. They're going to be in heaven, but everything that they put on the, on the altar to say, this is what I did, God, is going to be tried by fire, and it's all going to be incinerated. There's not going to be anything left there. They'll have nothing to show for it. They will have lived their lives buying in to what the God of this age is doing. Not Yahweh the Creator and His work, and they'll have nothing to show for it. We need this story. We need this warning. And it's written so clearly, don't be the bar Jesus. Don't be the closed-minded Jews of the day. Be the Sergius Paulus. Be the Gentiles. And dare, dare to be brought into a life that you will never regret. Never, never, ever. You will be filled with joy. And you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. And this world will be dark no more. Guys, we can't say it like I said at the beginning. We can't say enough to reflect the thankfulness that we have in our hearts for you. Would you pray for us? Just... Just assume that Benjamin is going to forget. Assume that Missy is going to forget. Would you pray that we pick up this every day and ask God to thrill us again with the work that he's doing and the fact that we can participate? Will you pray that for us, please? If you pray anything, pray that. Pray that we'll continue to be possessed by the story of God doing a work in our days. Because if we are, then we'll be those missionaries filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. And the region all around us will be filled up with the story of God and His redemption through the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what? We are going to pray the same thing for you. In many ways, your challenges are greater than ours. Living in a land so tantalizingly comfortable, your challenge is greater than ours to see this work that God is doing. And to dare to believe that the joy of buying into what he's doing will eclipse the comforts of this temporary life.